الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين صلاة والسلام على حبيبنا رسولنا خاتم الأنبياء أشرف المرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد One of the things we find lacking in the Ummah today in the Muslim nation I'm trying to translate all the words is the lack of knowledge and the overconfidence on thinking you know when you don't know. I was talking to one of the du'at, I'm not going to mention his name, uh, he has YouTube channels, quite famous. So he contacted me, told me I want to be your student. MashaAllah, it's not that easy. And we have many people who come and attend durus, watch videos, but we can count our students on our fingers, sometimes on one hand. Right? They're serious students, right? So he told me, inshallah, I want to do it. I told him, okay. So told him, join the durus, then tell me what you're learning, and we'll see if you're capable, and so on. So he told me, what durus do you have? I was like, you don't even know what durus I have? Tell <laughs> you. So I told him, you know, we have fiqh on Wednesdays, and we have uh, sirah and nabawi on Saturday. He told him, I know fiqh, and I know sirah. <laughs> told him, okay. So told him, you know sirah? He told me, yeah. I told him, how many times was the chest of Rasulullah open because I asked that question in the last dust, right? He told me that's easy. Once. Huh. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so I told him, okay, hadith in Sahih Muslim where Rasulullah was a child. He goes, of course. I said, what about the hadith in Al-Bukhari? He said, what? I said, okay, watch the videos. So this is the problem because we, we, we don't give importance to actually studying. Everybody wants shortcut. They want to watch a couple of clips, a couple of 30 second videos, Google certain articles, and then think they know and khalas, there's authority on it. But the spending the years and yani, the hours and research and reading and tests and all of that, today we've gone away from all of that. But when you look at the, the Sira and Nabawiyah and the importance of it, yani, Aisha radiallahu anha was asked about the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's a beautiful hadith. I mean, I don't know, some people, they're just like, get to the story. But why do we not have that love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? When we hear about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we, our heart becomes like soft and we feel that connection. Today we've lost that. Aisha radiallahu anha was asked about the akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فقالت عائشة رضي الله عنها حديث صحيح مسلم الحديث ذو صحيح مسلم كان خلق النبي الله يعني the the أخلاق the نبي of الله صلى الله عليه وسلم القرآن it was the Quran it's a very beautiful hadith يعني if you look at all the good qualities that you find encouraged in the Quran you will find it in the life of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم but there is another meaning to that as well, is that the Qur'an is explained with the life of the Prophet ﷺ because he had implemented the Qur'an into his life. So when you look at tafsir, one of the asbab of tafsir, one of the, one of the uh, يعني, means how tafsir is done is through the sunnah. And the sunnah is the life of the Prophet ﷺ, what he said, what he did, what he approved of and so on. I was looking at an issue about, not about even related to this death, just something sometimes like an issue comes to my head and if I don't figure it out, I can't sleep. So I'm looking through books and books. It was about the personality or the physical characteristic of the Prophet 
And I just started to look at how many books of the ulema of the past were written, like Shamal al-Tirmidhi. Uh, Shamal al-Tirmidhi, the famous book, right? It's like Shamal al-Nabuya wa Khasais al-Mustafa. This is the book of Imam al-Tirmidhi. But if you look at past that, the books of Qadi Ayyad, or Abu al-Abbas, or Ibn Jawzi, also al-Wafa, uh, or Shamal al-Rasul uh, of Ibn Kathir, Al-Siyuti's Takhreej of Qadi Ayyad's book, you look at so many books written, Shamal al-Sharif al-Siyuti as well, just about the personality and the appearance of Rasulullah sallallahu You look at Sahaba, this was, what they would, when they would sit, they wouldn't be like, oh, did you hear about Bitcoin? Oh, did you hear about this? Oh, your sports team? Oh, you hear about this rap? No. They would sit and they would say, you know, my, my Khalil, my beloved, taught me these many things. He taught me this. He taught me that. I was with Rasulullah He said this. This was their love for Rasulullah sallallahu Is the hadith of Sahal ibn Sa'ad radiyanhu where the Sahaba were discussing what is the member, the member of Rasulullah sallallahu who was it made of? And Sahal ibn Sa'ad radiyanhu says that many people today, they were not alive. I was there. I can tell you. From this hadith, ulama derived so many fawaid. There's a hadith, there's an entire book and a juz, a small risala written about whether Rasulullah sallallahu ate chicken or not. And these were the ulema, and then from that they derived so many ahkam. But this is something we have lost today. Everybody right now is thinking, skip, 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 get through this. If you're sitting at home, you're probably pushing the YouTube right now to get me to skip 10 seconds. In the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam, we were at the point that Abu Talib the uncle of Rasulullah was taking care of him as an orphan. And this is between the ages of 8 until about 21, 22 years of age. This is the time period we're at. At this time, Abu Talib, he was very poor. And if you look at the Kutub of Tariq across the board, even though he was a chief of the people of Mecca, and he was respected, he was a leader, his, his uh, opinion was sought. But financially, he was poor. Tayyib, why? Awalan, the first, because Abdul Muttalib had spent his wealth in the khidmah or the ikram or the serving of the hujjaj and the masakeen and the fuqara. And when somebody would be poor or somebody would come to visit Mecca, Abdul Muttalib, from his good qualities, he would spend so much on them that he had spent his money. He didn't leave much to his children. That's one. Secondly, Mecca went through droughts, Mecca went through hard times, yani there was always ups and downs. And the, and the people of Mecca were businessmen. The thing with businesses, you have ups and downs. Like people that are, people have, that work for somebody else, usually you go, you get your salary, that's it. Businessmen, sometimes they make a lot of money, but sometimes yani you lose a lot of money. So they went through ups and downs. Abu Talib, he was poor, but he was very respectable. And he still commanded respect. And he used to pay attention to the Prophet ﷺ a lot. He loved the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. And there are many poems. And these poems are not like uh, we don't know their asal. Yani we have them in Sahih al-Bukhari. We have the chain. We have the Sahaba who heard them from Abu Talib himself. About what he said about the Prophet ﷺ and so on. So he praised the Prophet ﷺ a lot, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But before that, Abu Talib wanted to 
company financially become secure. So he wanted to do trade, and that was the people of Mecca, that's what they did. On one of those, and this hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari, and this is no doubt to the authenticity of it, he decided to go and uh, travel to Sham, to the area of Sham. Okay? Now, before that, before we get into that, what was the job of the Prophet and he was not a businessman because he was eight years old. So what was his job, He used to be a shepherd. He would take care of goats and sheep. And we know this from Sahih al-Bukhari as well. This hadith is also in Sahih al-Bukhari, where Rasulullah said, "Ma Allah, Allah has not said Nabi and illa. He has not sent a prophet except Ra'i al-Ghanam, except that he was a shepherd for goats and sheep and things. So they asked the Prophet the, the Sahaba, they asked Rasulullah what about you? Because this hadith is later. I mean, these Sahaba didn't see the Prophet when he was a child. He said, Nah. He said, I was also uh, a shepherd. And he explained about where he used to go. And he used to take care of sheep and goat. And they weren't even the sheep and goat of the Prophet They were the sheep and goats of other people from Quraysh. And they would take care of them for a fee. Okay. But why? Why is it that every Nabi would be taking care of sheep and goat and things? And there are some hikam, some wisdoms from that that I wanted to mention. One of them, and again, this hadith is in Al-Bukhari. Based on this, we have no doubt that it is authentic. But I will now mention some historic reports about Musa and things that we don't know Sanadan from Rasulullah but they are mentioned mawqufan and things, but they are established from this hadith. And this is one of the ones that Ibn Kathir, Ibn Sa'ad and others have mentioned about Musa السلام, that Musa السلام, when he was uh, at a time taking care of goats as well. This is when he had left Egypt. And when he had left Egypt, he was taking care of goats and sheep. And there was a baby goat, it's called a kid, right? That was running around and Musa was trying to catch him and he spent like half his day doing this. He spent, because you know, this is not like you don't have a pen, you're outside. And when he finally got it, he kissed it, he held it, and he told him, why did you make yourself tired and me tired? He's talking to the goat. Right? And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that this person is ready for Nabuwa. This is a historic report. But what does it tell us? That there is a tarbiyah, there is a, a nurturing that goes on by taking care of something like a sheep or a goat. That the anbiya would need in order to take care of their ummah. You know when you, when you, when you are herding camels, camels are tough, camels are rough. You can hit a camel heart, it'll hit you back. Camels don't play. But if you hit, if you're harsh with the goat, you might kill it. You can let a camel go and it'll defend for itself. And it'll come back itself. But if you let a sheep go, it'll become the dinner of a wolf or a coyote. You can't be really harsh with goats and sheep or you'll kill them. 
And you can't let them go, otherwise they'll get lost and get killed. So you become used to taking care of those that you cannot let them go and do whatever they want, but you cannot be harsh with. And that's how the ummah is. That's how humans are. Most people are like sheep and goat, unfortunately. But that is the reality. Most people, they just go in the way that you push them. If, if, if you are raised in an environment that leans one way, you just go that way. There are few who are able to be open-minded and critical thinking enough to choose the truth on their own. And then even if they do, to be self-disciplined enough to stay on the truth. And that is why the Anbiya, they would have this tarbiyah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi he had this tarbiyah as well. We see another hikmah that I found. And Allah knows best. In that is shepherds get a lot of time alone. Meaning not alone away from the animals, but alone away from people. When you are, let's say you are a store owner, all day you're dealing with people. All day you're listening to customers, you're selling, you're buying, you're bargaining, you're doing this, you're doing that. But as a shepherd, you're out in the wilderness. You don't have anybody really to talk to except the animals. They don't really talk much. So you get time to contemplate. And that's a beautiful thing. Contemplation and isolation in limited quantity is a beautiful thing. And that's why Rasulullah sallallahu before Nabuwa, he used to go up to the cave and contemplate. After Nabuwa, this is not sunnah. I mean, we shouldn't now today get up and go to caves and just sit there and worship and think this is sunnah. No, that was before prophethood. But even after prophethood, Rasulullah sallallahu in Medina, in the hadith of Aisha, they would go and what's called Badu'ah. Badu'ah would be that he would go out to the natural places for short periods of time, like where there were waterfalls or you know areas that were beautiful as far as the makhluq of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be seen. And he would go and contemplate for short periods of time, and then he would come back and deal with the ummah. And this is something beautiful. Even us here should take some time, each one of us, depending on your situation, to isolate ourselves with the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't worry, I'm not getting goofy here or anything. This is all from the sunnah. And you spend some time, even if it's a couple of hours at home. Find the time at night where everybody else is asleep. And you just wake up. Don't tell anybody, don't make a big deal, don't make noise and wake everybody up. Don't tell people the next day, MashaAllah, I was making wudu and so cold water. MashaAllah, every night I do this, MashaAllah. Alhamdulillah, I'm not bragging. No, what are you doing? Take some time and just make it your time with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make it your time for dua and adhkar, istighfar, think about your sins, think about what you're doing, think about what you did that day, what you shouldn't have done, what you should have done. And this is something that we see from the tarbiyah that was given to the anbiya. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa before I get to the the tijara trip that I want to get to. Abu Talib saw special characteristics in the Prophet 
He saw this young man to be special, to be blessed. In the hadith that is reported in Al-Bukhari, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, the son of Umar ibn Khattab, he says that there was a time of drought. And the Prophet ﷺ, he went to make dua, al-istisqa, salat al-istisqa, the prayer for asking for, for rain. And he said, we were in a time that there was no rain from a long period of time and there was no cloud in the sky and we thought there is no way. And the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he explained the salat al-istisqa. And inshallah in the fiqh, durus will explain how it's done. And he continued to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until we saw water start to come from the sky. And when you talk about miracles, how many miracles have we covered and how many will we cover, inshallah, in these durus? People always tell us, show us the miracle of the Prophet sallallahu There's so many. How many do you want? How much, how much time do you have? Okay. So Ibn Umar says that I saw that Rasulullah was making dua and from no means, it's not like, you know, he checked the weather report or something. From no means, we saw the rain start coming until the face of the Prophet was wet and until the clothing of everybody sitting getting rained on was wet and they were happy. And the people around Mecca and other places they were getting this rain. And I remembered the Ash'ab, the poem that Abu Talib used to recite. Ibn Umar, he was a child when he heard this from Abu Talib, but he remembered, he said, I remember that, that share that Rasulullah was mentioned by Abu Talib who said, in, in that poem he says that the, the rain comes and people's, uh, the clouds and, and, and this comes because of this young man. In the explanation of this hadith, there is a weaker change, but this is an al-Bukhari, no doubt to it. Which mentions that in the time of Jahaliyyah, when they would have drought, Abu Talib, he would be told by the people to go to the Kaaba. They knew the Kaaba, obviously. And to make dua. And he would go to the Kaaba, but he would take Muhammad with him and put him in front and then make dua. And he saw that at that time when he would make dua with the Prophet obviously the Prophet is blessed that the rain would come. So he would recite this poem that the rain comes because of this young man. And he would recite this poem before the Prophet or the Prophet And he knew. And these miracles were given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to prepare the Quraysh for the Nabuwa, for the Prophet of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Just to make it clear because I don't want people to misuse Adillah. This doesn't mean that this is something you should use for tawassul today. This was obviously one when Rasulullah sallallahu was alive. And this was dua made to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the Prophet ﷺ passed away from this dunya, when Umar ibn Khattab time was there, in his khilafah, and a drought came, he didn't say, we're going to make tawassul with Rasulullah ﷺ. He told Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, that go and we'll make tawassul through your salah. Go and make salah, al-istisqa. And that is the sunnah. The sunnah is not that you say, oh Allah, because of your Prophet No, the sunnah is that you go and you beg Allah and you make the salah that the Prophet taught us in the, in the way. And we take the most pious and most, yani, uh, the ones that we see to be the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from those that are living from the scholars and we ask them to go and make that salah. Khair, 
ابن اسحاق ابن هشام ابن سعد الطبري الترمذي ابو نعيم الحاكم all of them have mentioned and as i mentioned the asas of it being in al bukhari but the longer version that we'll mention here and shaykhuna albani in his sahih al sirah al nabawiyah graded this narration to be jayyid al tirmidhi graded it to be hasan al hakim ibn hajar al suyuti to be sahih so it's an authentic narration that when rasulullah sallallahu alaihi was at about 12 years of age abu talib wanted to go for tijara so he wanted to go to Sham, and Muhammad was young. And he was 12 years, he was very young. But he saw a barakah, a, a, a blessing in this young man. And he loved the Prophet because of his good akhlaq. The Prophet, when he would sit to eat, I told you Abu Talib, they were struggling financially. So they didn't even have enough food. And he, they didn't have food for all the children. He had a lot of children. Later on, Rasulullah will raise Ali radiyallahu because of this reason. So when the food would come, the children of Talib and those that were there, they would fight over it. They would run. They would push each other. And they would grab the food to eat. And the Prophet because of his akhlaq, he would just stay back. And some people today, they think this is like a, uh, like a manly thing. Like, oh, you know, I'm going to push people and I'm going to be... But this is not... The akhlaq of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Look at how beautiful. This is before Nabuwa. He would sit back and sometimes days would go and he would be hungry والسلام, and he wouldn't complain. I mean, he gave up his own rights for others. And he didn't complain about it. He didn't brag about it. He didn't go and say, oh, they ate my food. Oh, they pushed me. Oh, eh, no. So Abu Talib, when he saw this, he loved Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He would say that give Muhammad sallam, food separately. But then he noticed that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would not sit, the food would finish and people would be hungry. So he would have the Prophet sallam, at least sit with them and he noticed that day the food would have barakah. And that's how blessed the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was. So when he wanted to go to Sham, he decided to take Muhammad with him, even though he was young. He said, this boy is barakah, he has great akhlaq, he's somebody, yani he, such good. When you have good akhlaq, everybody wants to be close to you. Everybody wants to say good and bad. And when you are like one of those people, nobody wants to sit with you. So Rasulullah he was with Abu Talib on his way to Sham. You mentioned this is a strong hadith. On the way, there is a place called Busra. Not the Basra in Iraq. This is Busra that is in Sham. And this was a major center for the Christians at the time. Arab Christians. And it was a place controlled by the Romans, but the inhabitants were Arabs. And there was a famous Rahib. Yani, uh, somebody who would be dedicated to worship. A monk. Bahira is the name given. I looked him up in the books of Christian historians. And there is a, a contemporary uh, author, historian, her name is Barbara uh, Rughima. And she has a book about this. And she talks about some of the history of Islam and things. She's not a Muslim. And she found that one of the Christian historians, Abdul Masih Kindi, he's not Muslim. 
he wrote about him as well. And he gives uh, Sergis as an original name and Nestorus uh, as a name that was adopted later. And he says that in the Syriac language, he was called Bakhira because of the meaning in the local language of the one that was tested and approved by God. So this is obviously in the Islamic books, but this is also something a person who's been documented in the books of Christians as well and other historians. So this man, the Rahib, Bahira, Bahira, he would not deal with the people a lot. Bahira was somebody who just worshipped and he was a monk. But he was very well respected. I mean the people respected him. And at that time he was like a leader of the people even though he wasn't like a chief or something. And he would teach good things and he would say wise statements and people would be his students who would write down those things and memorize and learn and practice and so on. And the Quraysh would go and stop at Busra on their trade routes and he would usually not deal with them. And he was not somebody interested in socializing. But this time, as and I mentioned this is a Sahih uh, narration, when Bahira, the Rahib, he saw this caravan coming from Quraysh. He saw that there was a cloud moving with it. SubhanAllah, you want to talk about the miracles of the Prophet We're beginning. Count the thousands that we're going to go over. Right? The cloud was moving with the caravan. When he saw this, he saw this to be something strange. So he went out and he looked and he saw something amazing that trees and stones were making sujood to them. Subhanallah. And this is not something from shirk. Somebody may say, oh, what do you mean making sujood? Prostrating is is an action. Is it allowed or not allowed? This is the hukum of Allah. The malaika, the angels were told to prostrate to Adam alayhi salam. It's not that they worshipped Adam other than Allah. No, they obeyed Allah. Allah is the one that ordered them. From what is correct, the father, the mother, and the brothers of Yusuf made sujood to him by the order of Allah. But in our ummah, this has been forbidden. We cannot make sujood except to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the hadith of Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiallahu anhu where he saw the, the animals and things making sujood to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, we want to make sujood to you as well. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him, no. And this ummah, it's been forbidden. If it was allowed, who would it be allowed? No. Who said parents? No. The wife to the husband. But it is not allowed. So don't go home and tell your wife to make sujood to you. Calm down. Okay? It is not allowed. In this ummah, it's not allowed. So don't go to, if you go to Qubur, or you go to a wali or a saint and he makes it a tomb, this is shirk. In our ummah, this is shirk. Allah forbid it. But here, for these statues and things, they're obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These rocks and trees, they're making sujood. Bahira, he sees this, and he sees the cloud. So he tells his students, and his students were obedient. He tells them, make food quickly and invite this caravan. They were surprised. Because usually, he would not even pay attention to the Quraysh. And the Quraysh were surprised, because usually he would not pay attention to them. But they said, okay. 
They were concerned about Rasulullah because he was very young. So they told him, you know, what if this is like a trick or a trap? So leave him behind to take care of the animals and we will go. And they went. Bahira now, he's looking amongst the people, he's looking at them strangely, and he's saying, no, the one I'm looking for is not here. So he tells them, is somebody left behind? They said, yeah, there's one young yatim child. He said, you guys are strange people, you left the yatim. And he's the one that should bring, he wanted them to bring him. So they went and they brought Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa When he saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he was staring at him. And he knew the Arab, they worship Lat and Uzzah. So he says, Sa'altuka, I'm going to ask you, Billati wal Uzzah. Yani giving you the Qasam of Lat and Uzzah, these idols. Now, Bahira is not a mushrik. He doesn't make shirk. But why did he take the Qasam on these statues? Because he thought that because the Prophet is Arab, and the Quraysh, they worship these idols, he will give an honest answer. Right? So the Prophet wasallam, this is from his miracles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from shirk. Even as a child, he never made shirk. He never worshipped an idol. And so the Prophet wasallam, said, لا تسألني. Do not ask me billati wal uzza. Do not ask me by them. فوالله. Why swear by Allah that the most hated things to me are lat al uzza. They are the most hated things to me. Even though he's not a prophet, but this is the fitrah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected for him. The Prophet ﷺ, he never drank alcohol, he never made zina, he never lied, he never broke a promise, even before Nabuwa. And he what a beautiful example we have. So here the Prophet ﷺ said, don't ask me by that. So he said, فَبِاللَّهِ he knew the word Allah. He knew who was Allah. He said, then I ask you in the name of Allah. The Prophet then said, ask. He tell him, tell me about your dreams. The Prophet as a child, I was around 12 years of age at this time. He tells him about the types of dreams he has. Then he tells him, let me see, lift your shirt. Because the Prophet had the seal of Nabuwa. And we'll talk about that later in the durus, inshallah. He had a sign that was there, that was known. When Christians and, and Jews and things tell us about uh, where was the signs of the Prophet in the Bible, look in your own history books. Look at your own Jewish scholars and historically what they said about the Prophet when they saw him. Look at people like this Rahib and what he said and the signs that he saw, that he knew from the actual revelation, not the, what's been written and, and, and corrupted by Greeks and Romans and Kings and James and those, but their actual Injil and the actual Torah and what was orally known and what was known by them, by their scholars, they recognized the Prophet And this hadith is an evidence for that. When he saw this, he told him, فَقَالْ هَذَا سَيِّدَ الْعَالَمِينَ He told Abu Talib, this man, this child, this young man, is Sayyid, is the leader of Alameen, of the worlds. Allah has chosen him. And he is the messenger of the Rabbul Alameen because he has all of those sifat that are in our books that Allah will give to the last of the messengers, Rahmatul Alameen. 
Abu Talib, he narrated this. And there are a hadith where he would talk about this to the Quraysh. When Rasulullah he claimed the Nabuwa, he would tell them, don't you remember? When I had gone to Sham and they had already predicted this. SubhanAllah. Here, Bahira told him, I saw the stones and trees making sujood to this young boy. I saw the, the cloud following him. He said that, know that this man, this young boy is going to be a very important person in your history. He will be the one that Allah has chosen. So don't take him to Sham. Because there are Yahud there. And I'm afraid that when they realize that the last prophet is not from Bani Israel, they will kill him. So here Abu Talib, now he was, as I said, he was struggling financially, so he had to go. But he sent the Prophet ﷺ with some of the delegation back to Mecca. He didn't take the Prophet ﷺ to, to Sham, knowing the danger that was there. Another one of those then narrations that Ibn Kathir, Ibn Sa'd, Tabari and others have mentioned, and then supported by other narrations, where back in Mecca, now the Prophet ﷺ is past 12 years of age, but he's still young. A man from Banu Mudlij. Banu Mudlij, we spoke about them earlier as well. They were a tribe that was known for farasa, that they had studied and they knew the science of reading signs on people's faces and physical characteristics and knowing things about them. Now, there is two aspects to farasa. One is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obviously they didn't have that. And one is an actual science that is studied and a person can be right in it and wrong in it. It's not magic, it's not wahi. Right? But somebody who's well versed in it can look at somebody and seeing some of the characteristics they can tell you about them. And when Mudlij was, was well known for this. So when they came to Mecca, the people of Mecca would take their children to them and ask. So when Mudlij would see people and they would tell them, and I mean they were experts in it because we mentioned the hadith when they saw Usama ibn Zayd and Zayd ibn Harith sleeping separately, both covered up just from their feet, they knew that they were related. And if today we can say, for example, if somebody knows DNA and, and genetic characteristics really well, and they see somebody with a, with a particular gen genetic uh, characteristics that can only be through uh, bloodlines or whatever, and they point these things out, that type of a science. So when they saw the Prophet ﷺ, this man from Banu Mudlij, he started to stare at the Prophet ﷺ. He saw something special in him. Abu Talib became afraid. When he saw this, he always wanted to defend the Prophet ﷺ. So he thought maybe he will يعني, do something. So when that man got distracted by somebody's questions, immediately he took the Prophet ﷺ away from him. So that man from Banu Mudlij, he started to ask. He said, where is that young man? Where did you take him? فَوَاللَّهِ So I swear by Allah, إِنَّ لَهُ شَانَ And there is something special about him. Abu Talib, he saw these characteristics. And there is a beautiful hadith. Abu Talib narrates it. Many of the Sahaba, they heard him and narrate from him. And then with the chain, we can check it. What he says about this man, يعني about Rasulullah sallallahu that he never worshipped the idols that he never drank alcohol, that he never betrayed the trust, that he never lied, that he never broke a promise, he never gave his word except that he kept it, he never made zina. He spoke about 
the, the early life of Rasulullah ﷺ to the Quraysh. And he mentioned such great characteristics of the Prophet ﷺ. Even when he was young, he would be the most gentle and have hilam. Yani he would be slow to anger. He would control his anger. Even though he was brave and strong, but he would be able to control it. Abu Talib, he saw this, and he mentioned this repeatedly, even though he never became a Muslim, Abu Talib. But he mentioned these characteristics. Rasulullah in many things was protected by Allah as well. Rasulullah himself, he narrates in the Sahih Hadith, he says, when I was young, and again, we're talking about a time period where he's around 12, 13, 14 years of age. He says, I heard about what weddings were. Like the Quraysh, their weddings were filled with a lot of haram. And he, because they didn't know it to be haram. So they would have poetry that was vulgar. If you, if you ever, and you read the poetry of Jahiliya, of the pre-Islamic era, it's actually very vulgar. And they have really harsh disses. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I studied Al-Fiyah ibn Malik with the Sharh ibn Aqil, and in the Sharh ibn Aqil they mention a lot of this. They talk about people's moms like you wouldn't believe. You know, they talk about people's women, and it was very harsh. So in the weddings, they would have this poetry that was very lewd, and they would have women dance, and men, and unfortunately we see a lot of this even in the weddings today in the Muslim Ummah. A lot of haram. So they had the same thing at the time. So. The Prophet ﷺ, before Nabur, one day he said, I want to go see what, what, what it's like. You know, he was curious, he was young. So he told one of the other shepherds, he goes, watch my flock this day, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to attend the wedding. He didn't know haram and halal, it's before Nabur. He said, but when I went, when I went to enter, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused me to fall asleep, that I didn't see anything of it, and I didn't wake up until the ray of the sun hit me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected the Prophet from this. Now imagine this. This is when? Before Nabuwa. If the Prophet went and sat and listened to the music and drank alcohol, would it be a sin? No. There is no halal haram here yet. But even then, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him. Now, now what happened to us? Are we Muslim today? Ah, we're Muslim? You guys asleep? Don't make takfir on yourselves here. Are we Muslim? Yes. Do we know halal and haram? Yes. Uh, is music and dancing and mixing and weddings halal or haram? Why do we do it? Why do we put up with it? Why is it that even the most religious of people, unfortunately, in such a structure that has developed in our society, that they fall? Whatever in the past is a past, let's change it. Let's make a commitment. If there is music and dancing and mixing, I'm not coming. Tell your family, I'm not coming. That's it. Make a commitment so that inshallah this can change. We can make a stand. Be leaders in this. Don't put up with it. Rasulullah he mentioned it another time that the Arab, they used to sit at night, and they would recite poems and drink alcohol, and they would just have these gatherings. 
Now for us, after Isha, if you have something beneficial, if you're reading Quran or Hadith or there's a dust, Alhamdulillah, that's something good. If not, to just sit and talk about, like, you know, subhanAllah, I was in another country, not going to mention the name. No, really, I'm not going to mention the name. <laughs> I might be traveling through there soon, <laughs> right? But I was there for a year, <laughs> studying, and, or more than a year. And the tradition was after Isha, all the brothers would go, they would have wives sometimes, more than one. They would have children, but they wouldn't go home. They would go and change their clothes, and then they would go and sit at these coffee shops, and they would, some of them would smoke the hookah, and some of them would not, the shisha or whatever. Some of them would just drink coffee, but they would watch soccer, they would have these huge TVs, projectors, and until like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., useless. No benefit in it. Would just sit. Yeah, this is something that is not in the sharia. This is khalif to the sharia. If you have something beneficial, do it. If not, go to sleep. Right? So here, Rasulullah sallallahu he's not a nabi at the time. He knows about these gatherings, but he never attends them. One time, the people tell him, why don't you attend them? He said, okay, let me go to them. He goes, and the same thing happens. As when he's about to enter, he falls asleep. He goes, I didn't wake up. I didn't hear anything from their poetry and things. I didn't wake up till the light of the sun came. When they're rebuilding the Kaaba. Now again, they don't know aura, they don't know any of this, right? Because uncles, they're rebuilding the Kaaba, they're carrying these big rocks. So it's harsh when you put it on your neck and it hurts when you're lifting it up. Sharp edges and rough corners. And so what they would do, they wouldn't have a lot of cloth. Like today we have a lot of clothing. SubhanAllah today, Allah forgive me first, then our brothers, right? <laughs> and then sisters, some of our brothers are worse than sisters in this. They have like 30, 40 pairs of clothing. You go to their houses, you have like so many clothing, so many shoes. Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us nowadays. Shouldn't do israf, but... But at that time, they didn't have a lot of cloth. So they would have the izar, the, you know, what they would call mawis, uh, lungi, uh, loin cloth, whatever, right? The wrap. And what they would do is they would take it off and they would tie it on their neck or they would use it to protect themselves and the awrah would be exposed. So the Prophet ﷺ, his uncle said, why don't you do the same thing? Everybody's doing it that way. But he was very shy, so he didn't want to do it. So his uncle pressured him. But before he could do it, Allah made him faint. So Allah protected him from all these things even before Nabu. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, he gets to an age where he is known throughout Mecca as a Sadiq, as the truthful, as the Amin, as the one who is the best in keeping his word. And here now, he wants to get married. And even though they are not the richest of families, but they are honored, and he was well known to be from the best of people. Inshallah, we'll pick up with that the next dust with the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala.